Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Today is Michelle Woodward Day. We are talking with her, and we're going to talk about how does a person rebuild their life. So I will circle back after my conversation with her. Thanks so much for listening. Michelle Woodward, hello and welcome back. It's my pleasure to be here. I can't actually believe I get to talk to you today. It's so exciting. It's my fun day. I get to talk with you. So I wanted to, if I could only figure out how to do this, I was going to post this on Facebook so you could see it. I was going to email it to you and I just couldn't figure out how to do it. But there was an iTunes review and from J.W. Spangler. And here's what they had to say. I love this podcast. It amazes me that Corinne is able to pick topics that are relevant to what is going on in my life. And I love that she and her guests talk about the topics as real people people that are still on their journey, it makes me realize that it's okay and I'm still working on it. I just listened to the last podcast with Michelle Woodward, whom I also love, and it's the first podcast I have ever saved to listen to again later. It is that good. Thank you for sharing your amazing insights and being open and honest about your struggles. It truly inspires me to keep moving forward and keep daring greatly. So, Michelle Woodward, you got a shout out on iTunes. Yay. I'm saying that must be my cousin Spangler is who that is. I, I don't know. That's wonderful. You do put it on Facebook because it's, it's great. And, you know, it really does get to what I know is your intention for why you started this podcast in the first place and why you had the, the presence of mind to make a big shift in the way you did the podcast um, last year. So this is, I mean, it's great affirmation of the work you do in the world. So yay. And yay. the work that you do and the willingness to come on. And and I get so many emails where people or the listeners just love having you on, right? So to have that in the iTunes, I just was so excited. So I'll figure it out and I'll post it on Facebook and tag you. Great. But yay us. Cut and paste, cut and paste. <laughs> yay us. That's great. So today we're going to talk and that's actually a great segue because we're going to talk about how does a person rebuild their life? And, it, and it, you know, this topic uh, came up three times yesterday in my work with clients. And I've learned over the years that whenever something comes up like that repeatedly in the same day or in the same week with a different group of people in different places in their life, then it really is something that I need to pay attention to and, you know, either bring to a larger audience by writing about it or talking about it with you. So it's like somebody whose parent is... Um, suffering with dementia and you have to change your way of being because you've always identified yourself or defined yourself as this person's child. And this is who your mother is. And this is how you relate to your mother. And this is what you get from your mother. And this is what your mother does for you. And this is what you do for your mother. But when that all changes, you have this real powerful moment of saying, well, I have to be somebody different in this moment. Same thing when you leave a job. Um, I was working with a CEO yesterday who left a CEO role to start their own business. Um, 
And this is like, you know, if you're, if you're in your late fifties and you've worked in a corporate life your whole time, this is like a complete rebuilding of self. Um, you know, rebuilding of like, who gives you permission? You know, in corporate life, you're always getting permission. Even if you're CEO, you're getting permission from the board. But when you have your own business, you have to, you have to be self-authored and find the way to give yourself permission. So it's this, this moment when some big change has happened and you have to completely rebuild your sense of self from, I think, a lot of ways from the ground up. So how do you switch from that, especially when you've had that practice of getting permission from others, to then giving yourself permission? Well, what I recommended um, that the client do would be to create a little ritual, um, a little ritual that would be a reflective moment. And I don't really prescribe, I don't say light three candles, you know, six sticks of incense, you know, mutter this incantation and walk, you know, three times in circles to the left. I I just raise the issue that maybe some sort of ritual, some sort of way to mark this would be really good. And then basically let the client figure out how that would work best for them, what would feel right. And so if it was me, I would probably journal. Personally, I would probably journal something. Um, I would probably take a walk and think about it. And then I would probably do something like light a fire, light a candle. And in and knowing that in lighting that fire or lighting that candle, I was starting anew with a new way of being that would be giving myself permission. But I think we're, you know, we're animals, right? I mean, we're human animals. And there's a reason why we love, human beings love things like ritual, like rituals found in a religious organizations, rituals found in, you know, the Girl Scouts. Um, and so my feeling is sometimes to mark the end of something and the beginning of something new, we need to actually make a little ritual for ourselves. Have you ever done that or thought about that? Well, I do think the rituals are really important in knowing, you know, it may take some experimentation to figure out what the rituals are that work for you. So I always invite people, you know, to take from others, steal from others and and test it out to see if that works for you. So like you were talking about um, going for a walk. uh, um, And is that something that works? Writing for some people, that's really important. What what are the things that support you and then test it out? Because you may have this idea of how it will work. But then what really happens, you know, and, and do you, do you find it to be effective? And maybe, you know, especially once you get past the resistance of doing it, but doing it a few times and seeing. So, uh, you know, my, a lot of times my rituals will be around movement and then how I also start my day becomes really important every day. So that ritual would be don't get on my phone the first thing when I wake up. Right, right. But I, I like this idea of, you know, giving oneself permission. And I talk about that on the show quite a bit. And with my clients is, you know, being the boss of ourselves and giving ourselves permission and checking within or going within our own filters of, okay, what, what is it that I want? Or I've been the CEO and, you know, I'm going to be changing my way of being as I go out and start my own company. Right. The the thing, I don't know if you remember this blog post that I wrote, like, 
I think it was a hundred years ago. Actually, it was so long ago, I had to engrave it into like stone tablets. That's how long ago I wrote this blog post. But the blog post was, um, I was using a metaphor of Thanksgiving. And that, you know, you can grow up in a family where there's a certain menu at Thanksgiving. You know, maybe you have a turkey and you have ham and you have mashed potatoes and you have those sweet potatoes with little marshmallows and you have green bean casserole and, you know, you have whatever you have. But at some point in your life, it gets to be your turn to make Thanksgiving. And if you'd rather have steamed broccoli than the mashed potatoes, you can make that. I mean, or the don't, don't get rid of the mashed potatoes because then I can't come. But, you know, if you don't want to have the the sweet potatoes with little marshmallows on top, you just substitute them. And it's not because you're mad at the people who always made the sweet potatoes. It's not because you reject the sweet potatoes. It's not because you're not loyal to your family. It's just that you get to choose now and you choose broccoli. And I think that's these kind of moments is that right now, what do you choose? What do you really and truly want for your life when you're rebuilding your life after a divorce or after a loss, after a, a, you know, a change, when you realize that somebody, you know, like I mentioned, the person with dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever you've got going on, how do I want to be? And if everybody all the time has always had that sweet potatoes with the maple syrup and the little marshmallows in response to something, you can choose steamed broccoli and it will be okay. And that's the kind of thing that I think for my clients yesterday talking about this particular subject was very reassuring to think, wow, it's not that I have to reject everything that ever came before. It's that I get to choose what I want to take forward with me. And that to me feels very powerful. That is powerful. I like that. Get to choose what you take forward with you. And I love this whole idea about, you know, choosing who do I want to be? And, and that's so, and the thing I, I, I really want to stress for the listeners is that sometimes we have to go out and experiment because you may not know, you may have an idea of what it is that you want and you may not even know what, what it is available. So go out and experiment, test it out for a bit and then see, is this who you want to be. And even with going to your story about Thanksgiving, if you choose to have broccoli this year at Thanksgiving, it can be an experiment. And then afterwards you can decide, did that work? Did you not like it? Do you want to keep it on the menu? It doesn't mean that, you know, if you choose to have broccoli instead of something else, that for the next 30 years, you are now committed to broccoli. And I think that becomes one of the mistakes that people make so that they don't give themselves that permission to choose. What do you think, Michelle? It's funny, just before you and I got on the phone, I was working with a client who um, has a lot of ideas, but has a hard time executing on the ideas. And so there came up an idea and this person said, well, okay, so if I go there, I mean, what do I do? And I said, oh, that's simple. You're Nancy Drew. (laughs) You go as Nancy Drew. All you do is you go and you look and you observe, you take notes, you get a sense of what's going on. And then once you understand that, then you can go forward and think about making other 
decisions or not. And I think that's exactly the thing that you're talking about is like, how do I go into this as Nancy Drew? I'm going to serve the broccoli. I'm going to see how that goes over, how that, uh, you know, what's the response, whether I like it or not. And like Nancy Drew, I'm going to put the clues together and pretty soon I'll figure this thing out. And, and I think you're right. I mean, we always, you and I always talk, it always seems to come back to Carol Dweck's work. Mm-hmm. But this, this Nancy Drew attitude is the growth mindset, that curious learner mindset. It's like, I'm going to go into this with my, you know, big magnifying glass and listening really well asking really great questions so I can get all the clues together that are going to inform whatever it is that I do next. Mm -hmm. And something as you're talking that came to mind is that when I talked about stealing ideas from other people and, and the reason there's this great, uh, there's this author, he has this book called steal like an artist, Austin Cleon. I don't know if you've uh, heard of him, (laughs) but, and he goes, you know, great ideas are actually come from inspirations of other people. So I'm not saying plagiarize and take other people's work, but sometimes I think we get into this mindset of we must be original and we must figure out, you know, our way instead of realizing like you and I, we, we reference Carol Dweck all the time on the show together. And, you know, and then how do we incorporate that? How do we apply that in our own lives? So sometimes this idea of experimenting, there could be shame about, oh, well, my friend is making a cauliflower mashed potato for Thanksgiving. And I don't want to be the copycat of that. So I'm just going to make traditional, but I really want the cauliflower mashed potatoes. Right. But instead of saying, oh, wow, this is what my friend made and I'm going to try it too. And so what if I'm being a copycat? Because there can be that shame trigger. I don't know if you know about that or have had that. But I know for me, I, I will be thinking I need to be original instead of getting attribution, giving attribution where it's needed and necessary, like we do with Carol Dweck. And going out there and saying, okay, now that here's been somebody's recommendation or here's something that I've noticed that somebody else has, does this fit my lifestyle? Does this fit my values? Does this fit the event that I want to host? And let me just throw in another thing, you know, that drive to be, you know, unique and, um, you know, an original thinker, you have to really understand what underlies that. Um, Because if my desire to be an original thinker is really to get everybody to say, wow, you are such a freaking original thinker. That's different from being somebody who says, I really want to figure this out. And in figuring it out, I've come up with this kind of idea. You know, do you see what I mean? The difference there is like, am I really going into saying, well, I have to be unique and original so that other people will say, wow, look how unique and original you are. Or am I just being curious and being a learner? And because of that, something unique and original arises. I would argue that the latter is more important. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, if if my friend Wendy says, hey, MTW, I'm doing which is the way she calls me, MTW. Hey, MTW, uh, I'm doing mashed cauliflower for Thanksgiving. Isn't that cool? I might say, well, WP, that sounds fantastic. I think I'm going to do the same thing. And that would be okay. Mm -hmm. Because. It's the nature of our relationship, and it's because I'm 
I'm and my energy around it is open and accepting and, you know, terrific. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it all kind of comes in to one big um, support for you, anybody who is looking at a time of their lives where they're really rebuilding, where they're really taking a hard look at all their assumptions they've ever had in their lives and all the things that have, have pushed them to make certain direction uh, decisions in their life and, and following that curiosity and learning and let that be the new scaffolding. I, I, I think that's the way everybody gets to, you know, really a, a full fulfilled life. Absolutely. So we talk, so we're talking about, you know, how does a person rebuild their life? And one is about changing our way of being, changing how we see ourselves, giving ourselves permission and deciding like, who do we want to be now? And maybe stealing from other people ideas, right? And I, and I use that word because it kind of gives us that break of like that permission to let me go try it out, testing it out. What are other things that we need to do to help rebuild our life? You know, the, I, I don't know if you've experienced this or you've observed this, but sometimes when you even open yourself up to rebuilding, um, it's like looking at your entire wardrobe and realizing that nothing really fits anymore. Um, you know, so I, I think you need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Is that, is that too, uh, you know, overuse of an expression, but, but change one thing at a time and see how that works. Um, so if I'm rebuilding my life because I've got an ill parent or my parent has passed away, because that is actually a huge moment of change for so many people. I, I'm in the age group where a lot of my friends are, have lost both parents. And more than one friend has said to me, who am I now that I'm not somebody's child? So it's a, it's a big moment of loss that we don't talk about that much. But in that moment, you know, deciding to get a divorce and to move and to quit your job and to get gastric bypass surgery and to dye your hair and get a tattoo all in the same like two or three days. That's a little bit much, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And then that whole idea of testing it out and being the Nancy Drew, you just can't because you have so many variables out there. You're not quite sure what may have been the cause. So I think it's important to really have constraint and go, okay, out of these things, where is the area that I want to focus on right now and, and be deliberate about it. And then these, two, these other things can come down the road, right? So when that way you can test it out, but yeah, I think doing everything all at once, it creates a perfect storm and it may create more chaos. What do you think? I think you're right. And I also want to throw out there to have a, a wingman or a buddy or a, um, you know, accountability partner who, when you're trying to rebuild and you're trying to make a change, um, having somebody who's got your back, who's not a yes man, but somebody who's really with you every step of the way. And I think you have to be really careful that it's not somebody who's your change is going to trigger their fear, right? So let's say I'm rebuilding myself. And one of the things that comes up is maybe I should move 
you know, maybe I should move to Davis, California, right? Yay. But maybe I should move to California. And I don't want um, my wingman to be my younger brother who says, well, then I would never see you, right? I want my wingman to say, great, Davis is a great city. Let's explore that. Now, whether that's a therapist, that's a coach, that's just a really great, well-balanced best friend. It's your spouse, you know, whomever it is. But you have to make sure that somebody who's walking this rebuilding path um, is able to kind of put their own personal fear aside in service to you um, can really make all the difference. Have you have you observed that? Oh, that's so huge. And, and, and that, I think, is we have to look and be really conscious about when we're seeking somebody's opinion, do they have the capability to do that? Or can they only see it from their viewpoint in their own, um, their, it's going to trigger their own fears. So again, if it's your wingman is somebody that's saying, oh no, you can't move across country because I'll never see you again. The information that may be coming out of their mouth will be a lot of fear right? Instead of, okay, wait, what's best for Michelle? Let's, let's take a look at this. And I love this uh, statement of let's explore that. Right? right. There doesn't need to be any judgment there because judgment is just a way to get somebody else to do what you want them to do. So there's no, there's no need for any judgment. Let's explore that. What do you think? Right. Maybe help you bring it through your own filters. You know, I, and I don't know if you've, I mean, I'm sure there've been times in your life when you feel like you've rebuilt or redefined yourself, but you know, I, cause I've been doing this coaching for 12 years and believe it or not, I lived before that and I will, mm-hmm. you know, continue. But, um, it's, it's amazing to me, the number of people who say I was terrified at the prospect. And now that I've crossed over and I'm actually living this new way of being, I kind of wish I'd done this earlier. I had no idea it was going to be this great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just such a meaningful, purposeful experience that that you know that's sort of the promise for any of us who you know find yourself in a rebuilding situation, like when you have a parent with dementia, or you know you've um, had an unfaithful spouse, and immediately, I mean, you're having to to rebuild. Um, yourself that way, you know, you suffered a loss of a, of a family member, a friend, a loved one. Um, you, you know, you may think, oh, how can I possibly get through this? This is the hardest thing ever. But the promise is, if you're really conscious about how you structure your going forward, your happiness is going to be really multiplied in the future. You, you may never forget the loss. You probably will never forget the loss, but you can rebuild in a way that's so daggone rewarding. You probably won't even believe it at the outset. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that what happens is we have this resistance, right? Because again, it's that scarcity culture that we are so ingrained in. Well, if, if, if not this, what if it's worse? What if the next thing is worse? And Instead of like, if you go out there and you try to cultivate what you want and realizing that it's going to be messy, right? There's going to be falling down moments. So whether you're rebuilding your life after a marriage, after a parent, you know, your relationship with your parent changes because of maybe mental health or death or getting, getting laid off, 
right? That that can be another thing. And it may be scary to go out there and do that or becoming your own boss and opening your own company up. And that may be scary. But then you're right. As people go and they practice and they're going to make mistakes, it's not done perfectly. But then they fall down and they get up and they fall down and they get up and then they're standing a lot longer. They get to the other side and they're like, wow, look at me. I did this. I was able to. When I had those dark days and didn't think it was going to be bright, but look, the sun is shining again. Right. And it could sound like that's a lot of like wishful, hopeful thinking. But at the same time, you know, this kind of rebuilding, this restructuring, this redefining, you get a hundred times a day to be brave when this is happening. You know what I mean? And you might be brave in saying no to something. And it could be something completely innocuous. Like you could someone say, hey, do you want to um, get a piece of lemon pound cake at Starbucks, which I happen to love that lemon pound cake. I'm just saying it out loud. But the little moment of rebuilding is the person I'm moving towards being doesn't eat the lemon pound cake because the person I'm moving towards being is 20 pounds lighter. And that takes brave right there. That little no when your friend says, how about splitting the lemon pound cake, right? <laughs> but as you're, as you're moving towards that thing that you want, those little no's can be so brave. can also be really brave to um, reveal who you are and reveal the goal you're moving towards. Um, you know, in that particular situation, it, it's really also super brave to say to your friend, you know, I'm trying to lose 20 pounds, so I'm going to say no to the pound cake. Because, you know, you could be judged, you could be shamed. Somebody could tell you that that's the wrong goal. Mm -hmm. Which it does seem like in this era of social media, people are very free with telling you that what you want is wrong. Have you noticed that? <laughs> that's why I have to, everything I have I choose to do has to go through my own Karen filters, mm -hmm. right? And that's that for a recovering approval whore or junkie, right? It was, I was always like, okay, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. I was always hustling for my worthiness. But what about my perspective and what about what it is that I want and what are my values and, you know, all the things that you and I've talked about. And so it has to go through my filter. So even I'm not as inclined now to get as many people's opinions, but I'll listen to people's. And then I'd bring it through my filter and go, okay, well, what do I think? You know, is there perspective? Like I um been doing this car buying thing for the last six months and a friend of mine, I had a question about a certain type of car because she had driven it and she's, and she said, oh no, you can't get that car. You must get this other car because the back seat isn't very big. And, and I said, but it doesn't really matter because it's really going to be me driving in this car, maybe my youngest daughter, but my other daughter's getting her license. It's not going to matter. And she's like, oh no, the backseat is just too small. After I walked away from that and had some time to reflect, I went, wait a second. She has four kids under the ages of 10. We have very different perspectives of what we need from a car, right? And that was the go through my own filter. So here is her opinion. Let me go through my own filter. And and I think it's really important. Then that's where a lot of the bravery comes from. It's not about like when I, I used to think of brave and I used to think of the Mel Gibson movie Braveheart. 
Yeah, right. And I'm like, oh, because that's my number one via value um, is bravery. And I, and I was like, oh. I used to really resist that. But then when I really thought about it, I'm really courageous. You know, the things that I do and I really lean on that quite a bit. So whether it's having the show and being willing to show up and be authentic or um, saying no or being able to listen to different people's opinions about cars and say, thank you so much for sharing with me. But then not thinking, oh, I must now go buy this car because they gave me their opinion, right? Yes, and you hit on something that's just so very critical, um, especially for people who have their own business. That's one example. Or if you're if you're trying to make a change. So I have a client who is uh, in a position of real responsibility in her organization, and where she lives is really not working for a lot of different reasons. And so she's talked to the big cheese and said, living here is not really working for me. And I'd like to work remotely, you know, two weeks a month and be on site two weeks a month. And the guy said, sure, that would be great. Let's test it for three months and see if it works. Well, the, the point that I'm getting to is that she feels so, I'm trying to think of what the right emotion is even that she feels. She feels like he's doing her such a favor and that this is such a huge concession on his part that it's likely she'll never get a raise. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that she probably won't get a bonus. And all this negative talk, but that's what her filter is because, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got the lack, you've got the abundance, right? So, My point was, we don't know if the numbers, if your productivity increases because you're doing this, why wouldn't you get even a bigger bonus? You know, if the bottom line numbers are greater, why wouldn't you get a raise? It doesn't matter where you are. That concession is a wonderful thing. But if you're still producing it, don't see it through this filter of limits So I would also say that when we think about where's that other person coming from, it's like, I see this with people, coaches, especially who are like, like, I wouldn't pay that much money for a coach. How can I charge that? I'd never pay for it. To which I say, you are not your ideal client. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, really they're like, well, I would never go to a retreat that was paid, you know, charging that much money. Obviously you're not your ideal client. Good to know. (laughs) but yes, I do. I definitely think it's important to go through your filters and, and pay attention and to what is important to you. And being brave is such an important thing in this rebuilding your life. What are some other examples of what bravery looks like? I was thinking about, I've been thinking about bravery a lot, actually, since the death of Prince, Um, you know, the wonderful uh, icon. And I know a lot of people didn't get prints. I've seen that on Facebook. I I got prints. I was a bit, I actually have a copy of Purple Rain in the vinyl from when it came out. So I'm one of those people. I saw him in concert. It was fantastic. But what did Prince show us about Brave? You know, Prince was very comfortable in his own skin. And And he was comfortable wearing what he wanted to wear 
And whether it was, you know, being shirtless, wearing a, you know, mask over his eyes, um, you know, having a pair of pants that had no bottom uh, in the back, you know, wearing lace and leather at the same time, wearing heels, um, whether it was playing bluesy music or disco music or whatever, Prince really was brave because he expressed himself with intention and alignment. And I think that's super brave. So whether you're an artist, I mean, if you're an artist and you're not expressing yourself through your art, whether it's sculpture or painting or poetry or writing, you're not expressing yourself with intention and alignment, then, then you're actually just not being your full self. It's brave to make, you know, make a collage. Uh, you know, it's it's brave to be a sculptor. It's brave to be a poet, to write anything. You know, it, it's it's brave to be yourself. And I think we're all kind of called these days to be as brave as we possibly can. How are you brave? Well, I'm talking to you, A, that's the first. No, I mean, I think the more and more, and I think this is, you know, it's been a process. And I think people who, you know, known me for a really long time would say, oh, Michelle, you've always been brave. But I think I'm more and more conscious and I'm more and more moving in my intentionality. And I'm almost always in alignment, um, which is something that it takes work. So I'm... here's how brave I was. I went to Pilates on, I know I talk about Pilates all the time, but I went to Pilates on Sunday, a kind of a last minute class. And I had sent a note out to a bunch of friends of mine who live in the area and saying, Oh, there's this new Pilates studio. Come here's my schedule. And you know, I'll do Pilates with you. So this woman, I know Helen showed up it was her first Pilates class and it was kind of challenging. And so we went afterwards to Starbucks and we started talking about politics which, you know, is a fraught conversation. And um, she told me who she could never vote for. I could never vote for this person. And I just looked at Helen in the eyes. She and I used to work in the White House together. We've known each other a long time. And I said, well, that's really interesting because that's who I voted for in the primary. And that was brave because you could, Helen and I have known each other. We come from a similar background. She had just really adamantly expressed an opinion. And I just calmly said, that's really interesting because that's who I voted for in the primary. And then she said to me, why? And I told her. And she said, well, I completely get that. I don't think I can join you, but I get that. That's a brave conversation because it would have been less brave, but maybe easier to just say, wow, okay, I get you and not tell her my truth of how I had behaved. Mm -hmm. So it's like opportunities, as I said before, opportunities to be brave. There are a hundred of them a day. There are so many opportunities to be brave and there are times that I don't want to be brave, but (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's, that's very brave to say that. I, I tell you, it's true. But, but I also know that once I go through that bravery, it, it's so important because when I get to the other side and one of the areas that I've been practicing bravery is, you know, 
uh, trusting and having faith instead of being a worry word or, you know, needing control and needing certainty. It's letting go of that and trusting and having faith. And that has been an area of extreme braveness for me because my, my past was, let me just control it. I'll just make it happen and I will protect myself in the process. Right. And, you know, that, and that idea, you know, I've, and I was trained this way, you know, no surprises, right? No surprises, but aren't surprises like the most wonderful thing in the world generally? Like, oh my gosh, what a surprise. That's a good thing. So, you know, you can get so controlling that there's no serendipity. And I I actually like serendipity myself. Well, and when you can think, because I think sometimes we do the no surprises because we think it's going to be a bad thing. But when we realize, even if it's a bad thing, like we will be able to figure it out. We can do hard things. And I want to have an agile enough mind where I can tap into my resourcefulness to maneuver this. And again, there are days and there are moments that I'm like, really not another thing. And, and then those are the days I need to step back, get myself filled back up before I try to figure it out. Cause otherwise it'll be in my lizard brain and that won't be great. You know, I have a control, a control freak story for you. So back when I worked at the white house, my job was to go ahead of the president and set up, uh, you know, events. So, you know, he might go to, let's just say Davis, California and, appear at the at the university there in the you know big coliseum and my job would be to um court be on the team that coordinated every aspect every moment from the time the president stepped down air force one and to the time he went back up to air force one and our schedule was like minute by minute we had a minute by minute tick tock of what was going to happen and, you know, depending on the size of the event, you might be like an economic summit or something five or six weeks, you know, working with the Secret Service and the local police and the military and, you know, all the support mechanisms, ton of volunteers, that sort of thing. So it's very buttoned up, you know, very buttoned up, every minute by minute planned out. And there would, there would be a moment when the, the aircraft would be, you know, coming towards the place where, you know, the 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 staircase was going to be rolled up and the president was going to be coming out that I would always say, like, if you think about rodeo, this is the moment when the chute opens, you're on the buck back of the buck and Bronco and anything could happen because the truth was as, as tight as we were and as many details that had been planned, there was always something that didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. And what was great is that everybody knew what was supposed to happen so that we could all adapt when the thing happened that we didn't. So that one of the examples was I guess I wore an earpiece and I got an earpiece, a call over the earpiece um, asking me if I had a sewing kit. And I think the reason they asked me of all the people that were on the radio network, if I had a sewing kit was because I was the only female on the radio network. And I didn't, I didn't travel with, I didn't, when it was event day, I didn't carry a purse or anything. I just, you know, had my walkie talkie and my, you know, notebook most of the time. So I said, I, I didn't have a sewing kit. And, and so I found out later what had happened is president had lost the button off his suit coat and was very uncomfortable 
appearing in public with his jacket open and actually did one sort of photo op with his jacket open. And you could just see it was very uncomfortable. And so it was sort of a panic. It sounds like a little thing, but it, he was not happy. And so everybody, so you know how they fixed it? How? There's a traveling medical team. And one of the nurses took surgical um, <laughs> thread and, and stitched on his button. And so by the time he went out for his speech, his button was on his coat was buttoned. And that's just a little small example. But, you know, that resilience, like, OK, you know, something something we don't expect is going to happen. How quickly can we respond? How creative can we be in finding the solution? I would never have thought of surgical thread, period. Mm -hmm. But that nurse did. And I was glad. Well, and that goes to like even just putting it out there and, you know, and trying to be resourceful and asking, being willing to say, okay, this is what we don't have and who else has this, right? And not judging whether the president should or shouldn't be worried about this. He's uncomfortable. We, our job is to make sure that he can show up and do his job in the most confidence. And instead of somebody beating themselves up and saying, oh my gosh, I should have known to have a sewing kit going, okay, with the people we have, how can we be resourceful? And here comes the nurse. Right. And I know myself and I like myself and I have a well, a deep well of being resilient and figuring stuff out. Mm -hmm. So even if I make this plan and I've, I have this plan as tight as it can possibly be, I'm going to welcome any changes because I know I'm going to probably be able to fix it. What a beautiful, free way to be. Absolutely. And I think that becomes really important when we talk about being, being a person who rebuilds their life, right? Knowing yourself, liking yourself, trusting that you are resilient and you have this deep well of resources that you can tap into. And there may be resources, whether they're within you or people that you may know that you may forget about. But, you know, and tell me if you've experienced this, but, you know, talk about synchronicity. I find that sometimes I may not have somebody top of mind, but then all of a sudden an email may come through or the phone may ring. And it's just the person that may have the right connection that could help me with the situation. What are your thoughts? Oh, exactly. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that's happened. You know, I really wish I knew somebody who, or boy, I could use some help with and then suddenly somebody, you know, the solution pops right into my radar screen. And it's, it is, you know, that serendipity. But I do think that, you know, it, we all have everything we need all the time. It's just whether we can be aware of it and then take advantage of it. Say more about that. We all have, for the doubters out there, we all have everything we need all the time. Well, because we, we all have everything we need all the time because that's what we have. You know what I mean? It's like, think about that um, famous scene in the film Apollo 13, right? When the guys are up in the capsule and the electricity has failed and the systems are failing and it's freezing and one of them is sick. And down on Earth, they, they dump out a bucket, a, a big box, on the table with all the engineers and they say, this is what the guys have up there. Let's make them a system that works. And they take tube socks and paper towel rolls and duct tape. And those engineers create a way for the guys up in the capsule to survive. 
those guys in the capsule had all that stuff that was dumped on the table. They just did, couldn't see how to make it work, but those engineers could do it. Mm-hmm. And that's my point is we all have those two socks and duct tape. And, you know, what, even if what we have is the ability to ask for help, we have that. I mean, you have the ability, I have the ability, all of us have the ability to ask for help. It's just whether we'll do it or not. Well, because when you're talking about that, it's if we can come from that place of curiosity, we can see opportunities. But when we come from a place of fear, we can't see those opportunities, right? We can't dig into, okay, how can I creatively or innovatively take care of this situation? And so that, that being creative and really believing that we all have everything we need at this time is so important. And then from there, figuring it out. Like sometimes I just tell myself, Corinne, this is figure outable. You can figure this out. And I, you know, and, and luckily I'm not in the Apollo 13 where I need to figure out in this precise moment, but sometimes I can give myself some space to come back to it and let myself rumble with it as I'm trying to figure it out and put it together. And sometimes there's a split second when you need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, you see a baby uh, about to fall into a fountain. You know, you grab the baby, right? (laughs) I mean, or there are these moments where you almost go on instinct. And I think that's the, I guess that's the lesson I also want people to take away is that your instincts are generally good, And if you overthink, like if you think, oh, is that baby really falling in the fountain? Is that baby really going to get wet? I wonder if that, should I ask somebody, do you think that, then the next thing you hear is splash, right? (laughs) Whereas if you'd done your instinct Mm -hmm. of running over there and grabbing that child, you would have saved that moment of perhaps a child, you know, drowning or getting in a, in a really difficult spot. And so my understanding of myself is my gut is right 99% of the time. So why waste a moment overthinking what my gut tells me? Mm-hmm. Why, why be inefficient? My gut knows I'm going to do that. No, I definitely think there are things in a split second. I still think there are things that for me, I need to rumble with. And in that part becomes really important because I need to check in. Is it my gut or is it my controlling mind? Mm-hmm. Right. So, because, yeah, and it dep- depends on the circumstance that I'm in. But, um, and obviously the things I have more practice in or the things, you know, a, a kid falling into a pool, I can get that really quickly. Right. Of course you could. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Michelle, this has been so good and too uh, fast. And it's I was going to say, we again. could do a whole, whole other hour. I would do a whole other hour with you. Absolutely. 100%. So you're, you're, you know, you, with this work that you're doing, you're just doing so much good for so many. So thank you for letting me be a very small part of it on a regular basis. Well, thank you for being a part of it. So it's, it is a joy to talk with you and the listeners love having you on and I love these conversations. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So I'm back and we talked about this rebuilding your life. So when life gets messy, when unexpected things happen, What is it that you say to yourself? And I invite you to have kind of some mantras that you can remember when you get into that time of crisis. So practice it now when life's not falling apart. One of the things that I say to myself is, it's figureoutable. You know, I got this. 
one of my favorites in the last few weeks has been with all my clients has been there's beauty in the mess. What's the beauty in this? And remembering that that mess, that struggle is part of that evolution of your next step in your life, that next phase in your life. So maybe it is the end of a marriage or the end of a relationship or you lose your job or maybe it's something more proactive where you're making the decisions and leaving your job for something else that you really wanted to do. So it can be a negative thing that happens to you or it can be something that you're actually wanting to do, but it's going to change things and it's you're going to need to rebuild or the word I tend to use is evolve into your next self. And when you do that, really unpack what are the stories that you say? What are, what are the beliefs that you have? Because there's going to be a rumble that goes on inside. There's going to be different stories and sometimes they may be yours. They may be a parent's, they may be a friend's and they, they have their opinion and you're, you're allowing it to rule you. So when you can realize that and then remind yourself with your mantra, I got this, it's figure outable. Or of course, it's problems are going to happen. Of course, I'm going to fall down, but I can get back up. Whatever it may be that you can remind yourself. And, you know, I invite you, steal the ones that I've been sharing on the show and test it out. Does it sound like your words? Sometimes I'll take something from somebody else and be like, okay, I can't think of anything myself and I get really frustrated. So I'm like, I'm going to take this from this person and then eventually I'll develop my own from it because I'll say it and I'm like, oh, but those really aren't my words. Oh, but those really aren't my words. And then eventually I get my own type of words that are comfortable with me. So I evolve into that. So I really invite you, what can you say to yourself when you're rebuilding, when you've maybe fallen down and you need to get back up? The other thing that becomes really important is when you're rebuilding your life, who are the people who can be, as Michelle said, your wingman, who can be in the support seats of that experience? If they have their own fears, if you're leaving a really good, this is my own personal experience, if you're leaving a really good on paper, stable job and somebody's really fearful and lives in a scarce world thinking that's as good as it gets, don't don't try to risk it because what if you get, what if it's worse? That may be person who may be loving, a loving person in your life, but in this particular arena in your life, they may not be in the support seats. They may be more in the critic section. And it's really going to be hard to achieve what it is you want to achieve with, with them there. So that's where you know, okay, in this arena, in maybe going out on my own, maybe they're not invited to the arena because you don't want to have to deal with their energy on top of what's going to be naturally your own fears and doubts and the shame gremlins in your head and the lizard brain that's going on. You have enough capacity. And so, but maybe they can be in a different arena. We all have these different arenas in our life. Like there's many different hats or roles that we play in our life or that we live in, right? Right now I'm in the arena of my radio show. When I'm with clients, I'm in the arena of being their coach, being on their team. When I'm with my kids, I'm in the arena of being a parent. When I'm with my husband, I'm in the arena of being in a marriage and being the wife. Um, when I'm with my mom, I'm in the arena of being the the child, the adult child, and she's my mom. So we all have these different arenas. And who are the people that you need when you step into the arena? Who can be on your support team? And like Michelle said, we'll say, hey, well, let's explore that. Instead of, oh, no, you shouldn't do that because da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, 
you know, do you have the capacity? Do you have the energy for that? Because you probably have your own self-doubt. So when you're rebuilding, being aware of who are the people on your team. Do can they can they realistically support you? And I'm never a person to blow smoke. You know, I've my athletes all know this. I'll I'll, I'll look at what is possible when I believe. And but I'll never blow smoke because I think that that can be irresponsible as a coach as well. But who are the people who can be in the support seats? Who can hold that space for you? Who can be there as you are dealing with your own difficulties, with your own inner rumblings, with the voices in your head that may not even be your own voice, but that have been deeply programmed in there. And that part becomes really important as well. And I don't think we talked about it a little bit, but I really want to address that being aware. And the other side, give yourself permission that you may think, oh, yes, this person's going to be totally on my team. And then as you go through the experience, go, oh, I didn't realize that this was going to come up. And it doesn't mean that they're bad and it doesn't mean that you can't love them or adore them. They're just not the right fit for this particular arena, right? Like, and well, I'll give you something tangible. So I was a swimmer for a long time. I love swim meets. I love going to swim meets. And if you didn't like swim meets, I didn't really want you to be at the swim meet with me telling me it was so stupid and it was so long and it was so hard to be there. Didn't want that. Right. So I wanted, if you're going to come to swim meet with me, and not that I really invited ever non swimming friends to meet, maybe in college, some of my friends wanted to come, but those are great because they're only a couple of hours. Um, but I wanted people that were like, hey, this is fun and I want to be there. Like, I guess my friends in college were. Let's go watch. This will be a little bit of entertainment or we'll go and see what people that we know. Pay attention to who those people are and how they best show up in your different arenas. Again, it doesn't mean they're bad. It just, what is their capacity? And and knowing that. And I really think about that when I'm going through my struggles of, okay, who can I reach out to? Who? What do I need right now? And who can I reach out to? And I become very specific about that. Sometimes it can be a failure. I sometimes will say epic failure, but it's not in a shame-trodden way. It's like, oh, okay, you know, as I become more comfortable with falling down, I can be comfortable with epic failure. It's not a big deal. It's like, okay, I failed. I will get back up. And then the other thing is like Michelle and I were talking about adaptability, having that adaptability, believing in yourself and being, trusting yourself that you can figure out, obviously they would be nice for things to go smooth, but that you have the resources within you to figure it out when it isn't so smooth. And always, you know, I really love this statement. And I had a client last week who said, Corinne, I just don't see it. I don't see the beauty yet. And she's like, the keyword was yet. But when you really believe that there's beauty in the mess, it makes it so much easier to kind of go through that messy time. You're like, okay, this is messy. It doesn't mean it will be like this forever. And there is beauty in this. And where it is the beauty And maybe I can't even see it right now, but maybe tomorrow I'll be able to see it. But really seeing the beauty in the mess. And I tell myself this over and over again, Corinne, there's beauty in the mess. There's the beauty in the mess and that's okay. And I embrace that. And that adds to my resilience. So I really invite you, as you're going through rebuilding your life, maybe something's happened to you. Maybe you've made choices to make change. So you're, we're going through this process of change. Pay attention to what are the stories that are in your head, whose voices they are, 
What are the stories that support you? That would be your mantras. Who are the people that you need on your team? And who are the people maybe right now you may not have the capacity for because you're already dealing with your own stuff and and you can't also take on their stuff too. And that's just for right now. Like these are important words, right now, yet. It's they're not definitive, you know, absolutisms. They're just saying right now there's this boundary. So I invite you as you go through and rebuilding your life because we're constantly evolving. And sometimes maybe it's not this big change, but we're constantly evolving. You know, like when I remember when I first had kids, that was a big change. Or when I first got married, that was a bit, when I first was married, that was a big change. Or when I left my job, that was a big change. But I'm constantly evolving. So when you, as you rebuild your life, think about these things and take one or two things that you can really work on that will help support you in this next phase for you. Thanks so much for listening today. I so appreciate it. And big again, a big shout out to J.W.S. Spangler, who said the show is amazing, useful, and fun. And she did a shout out to Michelle Woodward. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love having these guest co-hosts that come on and where we can have deeper conversations and and really talk about stuff. And the show is, I mean, when you when you guys email me or leave me these reviews on iTunes and you talk about, you know, real people, this show is for real people. It's how do you incorporate it in your life? And that's the thing. It's We can read these books and we can think about it, but it's not about living it perfectly. It's about showing up and practicing in our life day in and day out and owning our strengths, owning our flaws. I'm a flawed person. I have some great strengths and I have some flaws. And then I have some things I'm like, no way do I want to do that. Or it makes me extremely uncomfortable. And there's some things I give myself permission that it's okay right now. There's other areas that I'm conquering or I'm working on conquering. And this is one that maybe in you know five years I'll get to. So knowing knowing my own limitations for myself. So I invite you, go leave an iTunes review. It helps the show. We have so many tens of thousands of listeners every month that listen to the show. And the show could use some more iTunes reviews. So if you go to the show notes, there's a link and it'll take you there. It's a little bit of a hassle, but it helps the show out. That could be your gift back to the show. And then it's just fun for me to read. So thank you so much. And I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so wide awake.